0: you are listening to the order transmissions episode 113 and now here are Jeff and
1: Ian To the tri Transmissions. Today, we are going to be covering Gold Key Comics issue number 24, The Trial of Captain Kirk. And before we jump into this issue, I want to mention really quickly that we are recording this issue on the 50th anniversary of the original series, September 8th, 2016. And it sort of just kind of happened uh, due to a little bit of an Uh, an overrun on our recording that we did yesterday we were supposed to do two episodes in one day and it turned out that we went so long that we said well why don't we just record the next one tomorrow and it just happened to be the anniversary of star trek so um oh by the way i should say i'm your host jeff hewlett and with me is mr ian adams hello so uh you want to chime in a little bit on our recording on the 50th anniversary of tos
0: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, what better way to spend it than talking Star Trek, right?
1: Yeah, really. Yeah, even an obscure comic book still counts. Yeah, that's sort of the legacy right there is
0: that 50 years later, you know, we're still talking about it. We're still picking apart every little thing, just trying to get every little bit of meat off that bone, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, You know, the thing that really amazes me, and I was thinking about this earlier today, that... You know, 50 years after the airing of the first episode of TOS in the United States, I believe the first episode aired in Canada yesterday, but today yeah. is widely regarded as the anniversary. But it's a, it amazes me that how much technology, the thing that Star Trek predicted so much about our present day, how much our current day technology has enhanced the Star Trek community. You know, there's so many podcasters out there. There are so many fan filmmakers out there, uh, Mm -hmm. bloggers and and fans who write their own fan fiction and publish online. I mean, the technology we have today is enabling the Star Trek community to continue to grow Star Trek 50 years later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think it was really just the internet being a thing that Mm -hmm. kind of kept star trek going in those years after enterprise was canceled because we had nowhere else to turn to mm-hmm. but to uh talk to each other and um that's not at all a bad thing it, it, i think it, what it did was it really um kind of brought us a lot closer than than we had been because i mean i for example i wouldn't have even you know gone to uh star trek las vegas or anything probably if not for the internet. We we. Or at the very least, I certainly wouldn't have met you. Well, not certainly, but, pretty much. you know, I mean, it was the Internet that that brought me to that this whole group, you know. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's uh, it's had a heck of an impact.
1: Oh, for sure. And we without the Internet, we wouldn't be recording this show right now. So right. Uh, by the miracle of Skype and voice connections, uh, it's, yeah. it's incredible what we can do.
0: Talking from uh, New Jersey to Texas, and just like it's nothing.
1: Yeah, and it, you know, and it sounds like we're in the same room. It's it's unbelievable, and to think back on watching the original series when I was a kid uh, in in the syndication years in the seventies, mm-hmm. and seeing the technology they had on the show that inspired me to be uh, the computer guy that I wound up being today, you know thinking back on all of that and realizing what we're doing right now with our smartphones and with our computers and, and it's just, it's amazing.
0: It's not just technology though. I mean, Star Trek innovated in a lot of ways, uh, you know, and and not just with storytelling either, which, you know, obviously we could go on for days about, but
1: oh, sure. you know, it's things like, um, all of that.
0: yeah, like uh, just for example, the, Uh, first run syndication of the next generation that was a first Mm -hmm. you know no one had really done that before and it um you know it's one of the things that made the next generation so popular is because you know all these uh stations all over the country and 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 indeed all over the world had you know were able to buy in to these syndicated deals to get star trek on their stations Mm -hmm. uh And it just made it, it brought it to even more people, made it even more popular. And one of the things that is great about that is that each time a Star Trek comes out, it's somebody's first Star Trek. Yep. And and they'll fall in love with it, and then they go back and they watch all the other stuff. And then, you know, here we are. It doesn't matter what your first Star Trek is. Everyone's got one, but we all love Star Trek. And that's that's the thing that really matters, I think.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And we talked about this with the Kelvin Universe movies. And yeah. uh, I know Heather was very, very interested in meeting people who – at the convention who – whose first experience with Star Trek was one of the Kelvin universe films. And uh, if there was somebody who wound up being inspired to go to a Star Trek convention based on their first viewing being a Kelvin universe movie and expanding into the rest of the universe, that's a pretty cool indicator of just how powerful Star Trek is. Absolutely. Well, listen, we are actually here to discuss a, a completely different topic and, this was well, oh, cool, it's still Star Trek. Yeah, it's still Star Trek, but it's a it's a different topic. It is a comic book. It is the twenty fourth issue of Gold Key Star Trek comics entitled The Trial of Captain Kirk. So we'll get back to that here. and it is again, Arnold Drake returns to the series writer Arnold Drake. He's written issues prior to this one, and he will write more issues in the future. Our artist. Is still Alberto Giolitti uh, yet again published in May of 1974, 32 pages. A starting start date is 1926.2, sometime in the 2260s. And I must admit to all of you listeners out there that I have been remiss. Uh, this issue is the fifth issue since the price hike on these gold key comics, it went up to 20 cents five issues ago with issue number 19. So I have been remiss in mentioning the fact that the price went up, I think it was 15 cents back then to 20 cents now. So, well, not now, but now in 1974 (laughs) now. Uh, So, um, yeah, inflation was taking effect and the comic was steadily rising and rising. And uh, I won't even mention comic prices today, but 20 cents would be quite a bargain Compared to what we pay for comics now. But, um, you know, we talked about author Arnold Drake in prior episodes. So I won't go too, too deep uh, into his backstory. But he is an American comic writer. He was one of the first pioneers of what is today referred to as a graphic novel. Uh, He started out with a book called It Rhymes with Lust. And he's written comics across tons of different genres, just like a lot of our gold key writers, uh, including more comics, horror romance, uh, superheroes, westerns, crime, and sci-fi and he worked on a total of 20 gold key issues, some prior to this one and some still yet to come.
0: Yeah, and um you know, it's interesting the the graphic novel uh, widely credited is Will Eisner with a contract with God because he was the first one to to call his collected book a graphic novel. Uh and yet that came out in, uh, I want to say, 78, whereas uh, Whereas Rhymes with Lust was 1950. I mean, that was a lot earlier. Um, so, you know, when you, when you say pioneered, he really pioneered it. Uh, no one was really doing long-form comics uh, at mm. that time in, in the 1950s. Oh,
1: for sure, even uh, in the 70s. Um, yeah, some of these, these 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 gold keys are a great example of that, that, you you know, you're we constantly talk about how rushed these things feel and how maybe the stories would be better if they were explored over multiple issues or a longer issue.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, all the stuff that he's done uh, besides that is is actually quite interesting. I mean, he's he's done some really, really influential stuff, uh, or I should say he did. He He unfortunately died a few years ago. Uh, back in two thousand seven, but um, yeah, he had a, he had an immense impact. Um, he basically came up with the Doom Patrol, which was a, a superhero team that um, in the eighties there was. They got a series on DC's Vertigo imprint that was. Uh, I've loved that when I was a kid. It was it was really just off and cool and. Um, it was great. Uh a lot of a lot of people here don't know he's the co-creator of the Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: Oh, get out. Nice.
0: Yeah. Uh so he, he was the writer and then the artist um whose name escapes me um Gene uh Gene Colon. Uh they created it together and I mean the Guardians of the Galaxy are huge now thanks to the movie. Yeah. And uh yeah, and and he wrote this <laughs> this comic that we're about to go do. He did um, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, which is a big World War II series. He did a run on the X Men. He did not just uh, Star Trek, but he he did a couple other Gold Key uh, series that were adaptations of of TV series, which were uh, Dark Shadows and the Twilight Zone, which oh, were two right. very very cool series. Um. I mean, this guy was just all over the place, and and uh, I think that makes makes it kind of special that, that he also dipped his toes into Star Trek.
1: Yeah, you know, this reminds me, it makes me think about how uh, if you look at TOS, one of the great things about TOS was they brought in so many great science fiction writers to write episodes yep. of the original series, and now looking at Gold Key we're seeing these comic writers who wrote and before and went on to write very iconic and popular comics after gold key. So that gold key shares something, I think with TOS in, in the writing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, and and talk about pushing boundaries, right? Like, you know, not only being one of the first people to ever publish a graphic novel as as we would know them today. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, he was one of the co-creators of Dead Man, which was the uh, first comic to ever really depict drug use after the the Comics Code Authority came into being. Um, so that was like a really hugely controversial thing. That was, um, you know, th- that's that's the sort of thing like right up there with, um, you know, the, uh, the Kirk Uhura kiss, yeah. you know, in terms of controversy, right? Like narcotics were strictly Oh, yeah. Verboten by the Comics Code Authority. Um, so the fact that he was able to, to actually get that through, uh, you know, at a time when the Comics Code Authority was was really a, um, a power to be reckoned with. You know, that's that kind of speaks to um, the kind of writer that he was.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And that that kind of reminds me a little bit of the original Harlan Ellison script for City on the Edge of Forever, which includes oh, yeah. drug use and drug dealing. Yeah. And how that was shot down. So um, interesting that we have the same type of thing happening with a writer for Gold Key uh, in, on, a, on a non-Star Trek series. But it's, in, it's interesting to th- see how these bodies who govern the content uh, and publishing of these creative works can have such a profound influence on the content itself and sometimes allow things to slip through. Uh, which wind up being so iconic, like the Kirk and Uhura kiss that you just mentioned. Right. So uh, very, very cool. And I love how a lot of this stuff gets tied back to Star Trek. Yeah. So very, <laughs> very awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the cover of this issue before we do our spoiler check. And this is one of the gold keys that I'm really not a huge fan of of this cover it is very bizarre and it is a
0: bit weird. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm not quite sure if this accurately reflects again, what goes on inside the actual issue itself. So we've got a a green disembodied floating head (laughs) that looks kind of like to me, it looks like a cross between Merman from the He-Man series uh, and a human. So you've yeah, got like yeah. this merman eyes and the fin on top of the green head and then a human nose, mouth, and ears. Yeah,
0: and, and the eyes <laughs> I can't help but see them not as sort of insect segmented eyes, but as like, you know, goggles, and he, he kind of comes across as like a mad scientist in this shot to me. Oh maybe it's yeah. the dramatic lighting.
1: Yeah, and the and the the expression on his face, the mouth, the position of the mouth and the lips, right. and the teeth, kind of makes him look like he's diabolical
0: right um but you know all of the all the elements in this though do appear in the thing there's this uh weird tentacled creature um there's these uh flying kind of robot looking suits um you know that's all in there this it's just kind of put uh together in um I'd say kind of a haphazard way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's kind of different pieces of the issue kind of smashed together. As you go through the issue and read through it, you'll see where each one of these elements comes from. Right. Uh, I don't want to spoil any of it yet, but um, that's a good observation for sure. Except for the flames in the background. I'm not sure where that comes from.
0: Yeah. That, that I don't, doesn't ring a bell for me, but, um, but yeah, I mean as opposed to say the last issue where that scene was, you know, almost verbatim a scene that occurred in the comic.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this is a departure from that. And is it do you know if it's the same cover artist?
0: Yeah, George Wilson, he's the same guy that's been doing all, all of them. Uh, you know, that that pulpy guy <laughs> as I This is pulpy. Tend to refer to. Him. Yeah. It's very, very much so. Um, and you know, it's, it's still like, you know, it, it's, it's a very nicely painted cover.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. Is a lot of great detail, especially on the armor, the armored flying suits, the shading on them. Yeah. Is excellent.
0: Excellent. Absolutely. D- you definitely get the feeling that it is, it is metal.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, the, the, the little jet packs they have on their back. I like the thrusters. That mm-hmm. are on the uh, the suit that is closest to the viewer, although we will spoiler alert, we will find that there are actually only two of them, in the right. issue, not three. So that's an interesting <laughs> oversight. Yeah, and the I didn't really realize it until you just said what you said before, but the the tentacle thing that you see here, the purple tentacle thing, is actually a monster that appears in the issue. Of the comic, yeah. I it, when I first read this, I just thought it was kind of a of a kind of a tentacle nebula type of thing that was it's like a spatial anomaly kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Some kind of an organism in space. I didn't make any kind of a connection to a, a, a creature that existed in the comic book. So um, good realization here for me. <laughs> um, tagline on the cover: "Sky Pirates Raid the Stars and Captain Kirk." Is charged with treason. Yeah, cover has nothing to do with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, which is which is interesting because you definitely don't get the sense that, that any of that is happening, except that you might be guessing that one of the figures or more are space pirates.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking well, maybe one of the robotic-looking guys was a space pirate, but I think it's worth mentioning. That a prior Gold Key comic also featured tried and true space pirates in a ship that looked like a flying buccaneer. Uh, so, oh yeah, the the space pirates in this are nowhere near as cool as the space pirates no. in the prior issue. <laughs>
0: no, but you know, they do have something going for them that that I appreciate. But I I don't want to okay Let's um, not spoil anything. So yeah.
1: Yeah, let's not flip the hands just yet. So uh, speaking of flipping hands, let's stop here and give our listeners the spoiler check. So anything from here on out, besides the things that I've just spoiled inadvertently, uh, anything from here on out is going to be considered spoiler. So if you don't want us to spoil this issue for you, stop us now, unplug, go find this comic, read it, and then come back and listen to us talk. Uh, And we are going to start... Our commentary on issue number twenty-four of Gold Key Comics in three, two, one. All right, ding. so we will start ding. We will start with the teaser page, which in this case is completely removed from the cover art, with the exception of the two robotic-looking entities that are standing in the foreground. Seem, to look a lot like the ones on the cover although slightly different a little yeah more they don't detailed. have the they don't
0: have the jetpacks
1: no no jetpacks and I think there's their bodies are slightly more detailed uh, especially around the joints they seem to have a little more um, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how to put it but um, the joining of their arms and their knees have a little bit more uh, uh, ordainment on them so it's kind of neat looking there's some yeah. teaser text here I'll, I'll quickly read before we talk a little bit more about the dialogue and what's actually going on in this shot. So it says, A brilliant service record and a heroic commander face public disgrace and imprisonment as Captain Kirk battles vainly against a shadowy conspiracy. Can he and the crew of the Starship Enterprise crack the mystery before the prison door shuts behind him? And I believe... I. I really want to believe that the word vainly is not really the word they meant to use here. I want to think it was supposed to be valiantly. Um, I'm not sure well, how Kirk would battle vainly.
0: No, I, I I think they meant, like, in vain.
1: Oh, good call. Yeah, because I was thinking valiantly, um, but no, in vain actually sounds right for at least the first part of the issue. Right, right. Yeah. So, well, possible. So let's see. So we've got two blue-shirt bodies laying in what look like maybe cryogenic tubes or some sort of um,
0: electronic sarcophagi.
1: Oh boy, you had to go there. (laughs) Uh, They're not mummies, though. They're not mummies. Uh, We can't see their faces. They look relatively identical, but the the two robots or seemingly robots in the foreground have some speech bubbles who give away that the fact that it's Dr. McCoy and Mr. Spock that are laying in these two tubes, and somehow these robots are either them or they've been transferred into these robots. We're not quite exactly sure what's going on here. It says something about their brain patterns being inside the robots. We don't have a lot of detail at this point as to what's going on, but um, we'll find out more as the issue progresses but i for some reason the robots themselves don't look very star trek to me they look like 60s robots for sure but they don't look star trek robotic to me
0: yeah they're kind of um (laughs) they kind of remind me of uh you know like like jousting armor you know like like that kind of um plate mail you know like the the way that the that that they rest on them and they've got the the pauldrons and the gauntlets and the little um you know, kind of waistcoat looking thing. The helmets don't look like that, but the armor itself hmm. uh definitely gave me that impression.
1: Yeah, that's a good observation. I and the on the hands, the non articulated hands kinda remind me of that as well. So you would yeah. just be holding the jousting spear, you didn't need a lot of motion in your fingers. All you need to do is be able to grip that spear, right? Exactly. Yeah, but I, I really like the artwork on those robots, though. They look really, really cool. Now, the, the machinery in the background leaves a little to be desired. Yeah, but
0: um, there's a doorway hmm. in the background that, just based on the style of it, kind of speaks to me that they're on the Enterprise, because it looks like that doorway to the shuttle bay.
1: Oh, Right, it's not a standard doorway, that's for right. sure. But it is it is an odd shape. But it does kind of look like that shuttle bay door. Just the the other machinery and the coloration of the wall is what throws me off. The wall is yellow, with an orange trim, and there's some machinery with an orange, metallic background behind it, uh, next to that door, which seems like an odd coloration choice to me. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, they've already got so much blue going on with the two blue shirts in, uh, a lot of the, the glass and the the highlights on the armor, and then that big blue, the Trial of Captain Kirk title um, in the top left corner. Mm-hmm. Maybe they felt like uh, like they had to go more into the red spectrum.
1: Yeah, I guess that's that's actually a good point. I think the page itself, this teaser page, would be a little bit dull if they actually colored the walls gray. As they would Yeah, it would
0: be, be kind of monochromatic, you know.
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm sure they wanted it to pop a little bit more. So definitely the color of the walls makes the robots and those cryogenic or stasis pods or whatever they are pop off the page a little yeah. bit better than they would have. So uh, good point. Good point. Uh, anything else you want to say about the teaser page before we jump into the story? No, I'm anxious to get into it. Yeah, I'm I'm anxious to get into it, too. And I just before we do, I want to just say to the listeners out there, the story of this comic uh, to me feels a little disjointed. So I want to say ahead <laughs> yeah. of time, if my reading of the synopsis of the story feels a little disjointed, don't hold it against me. Uh, I tried my best to make it sound as coherent as possible. But I, even having read this comic multiple times, I still kind of had trouble following Some of what was going on. So uh, forgive me in advance for this. So let's jump into this, Ian. So uh, we've got a captain's log opening up this issue as we do with all of the other ones, which reads, Captain's log, Stardate 1926.2, approaching the Ferris asteroid belt on a special assignment as per command order (laughs) J1786. Yeah,
0: and the the artwork here, those do not look like Ferris asteroids. Ferris is an iron.
1: Yes, Ferris is (laughs) an iron, but I... I, Well, I'm going to hold off my commentary about this panel uh, until we get through the opening section of this comic because I actually kind of like these floating crystal things. But so the Enterprise, as stated in the Captain's Log, is on a special assignment in what they call a Ferris asteroid belt that 100 years ago was the location of a mining rush when it was discovered that the asteroids were almost pure iron. So the operations established uh, whole cities uh, around that area overnight to strip mine the asteroids. And when it was discovered that a possible destruction of the belt by the mining would endanger neighboring planetary orbits, all the mining operations were promptly outlawed. So Kirk mentions that there's one large pirate operation that is still operating there and has eluded Starfleet's capture. Kirk and Spock regard a recognizable large asteroid that is oddly camel-shaped and notice (laughs) that uh, uh, there's a, a nearby rock on it that's not on any charts that they have of the belt. So... In a very strange move, Kirk and Scotty decide to go exterior of the ship and get on their spacesuits and make an excursion to investigate this rock. And after determining that it's just another hunk of iron, Scotty decides that he is going to disobey the law and use his phaser (laughs) to uh, carve off a souvenir. Uh, When he does that, suddenly the asteroid begins to shake and then changes its direction and begins to fly away. They, decide, they discover that it's actually a ship that is disguised as an asteroid. So Kirk and Scotty jump off and float away as the ship flies off into the distance. So Kirk, back aboard the Enterprise, which is now in pursuit of this ship, uh, announces to it via communications that uh, they are the Starship Enterprise and they will attack but they would prefer to avoid any sort of combat uh, in lieu of a peaceful solution. So the bandit ship instead fires at the enterprise and the enterprise is forced to take evasive action and return fire, thus destroying the rogue pirate ship. So enterprise returns to headquarters. Kirk is promptly placed under arrest and brought before an inquiry board which is uh, held in what they call the Great Supreme Council Hall. So the chairman of the council is a guy by the name of Vice Chairman Fado and Vice Chairman Hajara. Fado states that Kirk is charged with accepting money in return for protecting the pirate iron mining ring. So let's pull the ship over, as we often do, to talk about all of the things that happened in this first section i have a huge amount of notes here uh, yeah and so uh, on the i i love the actual depiction of these crystalline formations that they call ferrous asteroids which are actually right. not ferrous asteroids
0: <laughs> yeah they don't look like it and yet um everyone's there mining iron but these look like just sort of multicolored crystals and um yeah i I kind of feel like the going with iron was just a weird choice.
1: Yeah. I don't see how iron would be as valuable.
0: Yeah. In Star it's like
1: Trek times uh, as it would have been in maybe back in the times when this comic was written.
0: Right. I mean, it's the 26th most common element in the universe, you know, being number 26 on the periodic table. It's, uh, You know, you find it all over the place. Um, We can find it in our own asteroid belt. We can find it on, you know, all the terrestrial planets. um, Well, that we know of, at least on um, Earth and and Mars, but, you know, most likely uh, Venus and Mercury as well. Uh, You can find it out in the the uh, Kuiper belt and the uh, the Oort cloud. You know, it's it's all over the place, um, and yet I, I kind of feel like if they had matched what they were mining to the look of the asteroids, which are very crystalline, make them some sort of um, you know valuable crystal. Heck, maybe even dilithium. You know, um, that would have that would have assuaged me uh, much more. And and sort of as I was reading it. I was just kind of pretending that it was dilithium and not iron. And then it it all sort of came together for me.
1: Great point, because I was just about to say, I had this written down. I think this was a perfect opportunity for them to make up a rare element or rare metal like Pergeum, right, that we've heard yeah. about, that the Federation needs for some purpose. Uh, I think picking a very common element that was known to the readers of the comic maybe crippled the story a bit in my mind. So so another weird thing that I noticed here, and this is a very, very strange artistic choice. In the, the bottom panel on this first page of the comic, so for us it's page three, uh, for you guys out there it's page two, but there's a disembodied Kirk's head. <laughs> yeah. next to some dialogue and this is not something that i see very often in gold key i've seen some bizarre artistic anomalies like this in the past like uh, in a couple of issues there were captain's logs with the pick with a depiction of a book an open yeah. book next to them right so i i don't know what was going through Gia Liddy's head when he decided to make these stylistic choices because they're not consistent. And you would think that if it was the same artist doing these things, that it would be relatively consistent.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the sort of on the face of it, it's to let you know that it's Kirk talking because in the panel right before it, Kirk's the last one talking. And so you, you might expect that it would then go back to Sulu for the next lines But, um, yeah, it is, it is a little odd, but, um, at the same time, that's actually a technique that's, um, that's used a lot more common these days. Hmm. So, you know, maybe it was something that, um, maybe it was something that was actually directed by, uh, Arnold Drake, the Ah, writer.
1: Yeah. Good call. Maybe it was in, you know, in,
0: in the script. Right. Hmm. And so he said, well, okay, I'll just draw Kurt's head there then.
1: Okay. Well that that yeah. helps explain it away. I I like the fact that it's there. I was amused by it. Uh the the yeah. floating disembodied Kirk head. <laughs> it doesn't fit exactly in the text box either. It kind of protrudes off the right. top of it. So um definitely a stylistic choice. And
0: and I got to say I love the sound effects for all of these uh
1: oh yeah these these
0: iron miner ships in that panel <laughs> like shoom <laughs> And swoosh and whoa 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 whoa.
1: <laughs> yeah, I like the whoa 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 wah the best. I think yeah. of all of those. It's 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 a great engine sound. Yes, for a starship. Um, so another thing that happens on this page that I wanted to quickly bring up, and this is something that keeps happening over and over and over again in Gold Key, is they keep making up these uh, entities, these uh, organizations that uh, exist either in Starfleet or aside from Starfleet, and Sulu mentions the FPS, which translates to the Federated Planet Security. So does the word federated mean that it's part of the Federation? I don't. We've never heard of the Federated Planet Security before, but apparently it's some kind of a police detail uh, that's been dealing right. with these pirates, right?
0: Yeah, and and it came across to me like they meant Federation... Um but that like for some reason they went with federated instead. Kind of like uh maybe they just hadn't watched enough the show. (laughs) Um you know, but uh I kinda like the way that I did with, you know, uh mentally replacing iron with dilithium. Mm -hmm. I just mentally replaced federated with federation and then it was like, Oh, okay.
1: Makes sense. Makes more sense then. Yeah. So I I love these things about Gold Key, and I'm always amused to find them uh, as I'm reading through these these issues. And so here's another instance where spacewalking is something they can do so much more easily in the comic books than they could have ever done on the original series. So we've seen them spacewalk a couple of times before, and now it seems like a nonchalant sort of thing where Kirk and Scotty are like, okay, let's just put on some spacesuits and Jump out an airlock yeah. and go check this thing out. They don't transport over in the spacesuits. They actually go and uh, and spacewalk over.
0: Right. Well, you know, I mean, in the in the Gold Key comics, they seem to have no problem with just, uh, you know, bringing the Enterprise as close as possible to, you know, a planet or 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 any other kind of, um, you know, object out in space. So uh, it kind of makes it so that the the distance between the Enterprise and the uh uh whatever the object is in this case an asteroid is um is a lot more uh achievable you know in in a space suit
1: so a lot has a lot happened in this initial uh part that i read through and i i think i go all the way up to page 10 with this and so this whole sequence is pretty drawn out over the course of the 32 pages of the comic so Make yeah. A couple of stops on a few of these pages to point out some very cool panels that I really enjoyed looking at. So page seven, panel three, uh, for you guys, page six. I think there's a really cool shot here on this third panel. It spans the the entire width of the page where we see the bridge crew getting jostled around the Enterprise bridge. I really like that they're carrying over something that's, really iconic from the original series and seeing the, the camera tilt uh, game they always played the show to make the audience believe that the ship was being jostled around. So we're doing it again mm-hmm. in the comic and you've got a really cool color wise. It's not right, but you've got a really cool depiction of captain Kirk's chair on the bridge yep. here, as well as some railings that look about right. And the, uh, the helm console that looks pretty close as well. Yep. So, a very good representation of the bridge
0: yeah and and even spock's uh station at the in in the back there you know it's got that same kind of curved control panel like the the enterprise bridge had it does um yeah it's 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 really well done um you know again the the coloring could have been a little bit better but um i yeah i really like that shot it's it's one of those ones where you know geolity is back you know on point with Doing the enterprise interiors right, and, yeah. and I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I, that's why I, I had to bring this panel up because this is a, a a nice return to form, after seeing the improper transporter room, in the previous issue. <laughs> yep. Um, the next panel down from here, I love this explosion. Yeah, that it looks, looks great. really great. Uh, I'm not it sure about great. the sound Just effect.
0: Asteroid being, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, but the the asteroid being broken apart into smaller and smaller pieces. It just yeah, yeah I it's love very the color striking. In the
1: background, the the, the gold, the, the yellow and then how it fades into orange with the black action lines around the outside. Yeah. I think it looks really really good. It's it's a great action shot. Um yeah. definitely gives you conveys exactly what's going on in the picture here as opposed yeah. to some of the things we've seen and a few of the prior issues where we were a little bit um, questionable about what was really going on.
0: Can I just say though, that this, the situation on this page is very, um, unstar Star Trek like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because he's, uh, you know, give him props to saying, Oh, well, you know, we would prefer to avoid combat. And then the next panel is the, uh, the pirate ship firing at the enterprise, but missing, and yet missing is apparently enough <laughs> for Kirk to order them to just completely destroy. The yeah, ship.
1: that was a pretty extreme reaction.
0: Right. I have like, to admit. Yeah, maybe, maybe ratchet that down a couple there, Kirk.
1: Yeah, lower that phaser power. Down a little maybe 30% phaser power instead of 100%. Right. So, well, the, then again, that that pirate ship that was disguised as an asteroid may not have had any kind of adequate shielding uh, it was probably meant for, you know, mining,
0: as yeah, opposed and, to combat and, and
1: stealth. So, and stealth, and yeah, so maybe the Enterprise's uh, phasers, even on a lower setting, were enough uh, to yeah. to to rupture the hull and cause it to explode. So could have been,
0: but Kirk does explicitly order them to destroy the rogue that's ship. That's true. That's so true. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> it's it still seems just a little bit extreme to me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, definitely (laughs) an extreme knee-jerk reaction uh, for Kirk. That's not something we would have seen him do uh, normally as an in-character thing on TOS. But, you know, I have to point out, too, that on uh, page 8 in the second panel, there are two very familiar-looking figures in this Uh depiction. There are four characters here. There's three men and a woman, Two of the guys on either side of the frame don't look familiar at all, but the woman in the center looks an awful lot like Janice Rand to me, and the man in the center looks an awful lot like Chekhov to me.
0: Yeah. Although they're not named. Uh, fully agree. Uh, that was exactly my impression of that, and um, I like to think it was them.
1: I do, too. and we ha- Janice Rand has not appeared since the first issue of Gold Key, and uh, we haven't seen a hell of a lot of Chekhov. We've heard him name drop before. But it, it's a very interesting thought that um, Gia Liddy would have used their likenesses for yeah. these unnamed random one-off characters. Uh, yeah, and,
0: and and who aren't being spoken to. No. Um, it seems like the, the two guys on the end are just talking to each other uh, just by the um, – you know, not just the art; they're looking right at each other. But um, you know, they they mention each other by name, Crad and Xana. Um, it seems like they're just <laughs> in the background to be like, "Hey, remember we're on the Enterprise and we've got Enterprise crew on board." Um, you know, which is which is cool though because that that you know it it grounds it in Star Trek.
1: It does, even though Janice seems to be in a a poor proportion. To the two guys in the yeah. foreground. Her head seems <laughs> yeah. a little bit big.
0: Yeah, she's um, she's just being giant.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else? So page eight, panel four, mentions something called the Federated Planet Supreme Headquarters. And Kirk is uh, ordered to return to Starship Central.
0: Yeah. So Starship
1: think... Central sounds very
0: kind of first season Star Trek before they settled on Starfleet and, and the Federation. But the Federated Planet Supreme Headquarters, it's like, OK, Federated Planets, it's another one of those, you know, just replace Federated with Federation. and I, And I'm cool. But Supreme Headquarters, that sounds like more like something say that the Klingons would have a supreme yeah. headquarters, you know? Yeah, it's
1: the qualifying word, supreme, doesn't yeah. seem very Federation-like. To right. Me. Yeah. That, that <laughs> seems almost Romulan or, as you said, Klingon. Yeah.
0: For sure. Um, and then there's the the last panel where uh, Scotty asks him, what do you make of it, Captain? And, and uh, Kirk says, ours is not to reason why. And then explicitly goes on to say, that's a 19th century earth poet named Tennyson. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) thanks captain exposition.
1: (laughs) Well, he has to make sure everybody knows where the reference is from and how learned he is. Right. (laughs) What a, what a a consumer of poetry. uh, Captain Kirk is, uh, did you find it odd? Did you find it odd that, um, on the next page, in the first panel as Kirk and the crew are arriving at the uh, Federated Planet Supreme headquarters that they're descending a staircase from yeah. the shore. Like, I, I kind of got the feeling that it's
0: meant to be descending from the Enterprise, but, it, I mean, it looks like... Um, you know, the, the gangway off of a plane, and they're just mm-hmm. walking off the plane onto the tarmac, kind of. Yeah, exactly
1: and... what I thought about. It. And, you know, it's they're not beaming down, they're not coming out of a hatch on the side of a shuttle craft. like we've seen the Galileo before. Yeah. Uh, so this seemed very, uh, like a very odd choice to me to have them descending a gangway off of what looks to be an airplane or some sort of a craft.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, um, and the uh, the security forces here, the the security officers, you know, they they kind of did a, a helmeted thing, like the security officers that you see in, uh, say, Star Trek Three, hmm. but the the way that they look looks a lot more like that kind of. Um, you know, dystopian sci-fi totalitarian yeah. police state kind of <laughs> <Yes>. uniform.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't, cl- I couldn't classify it in my head as I was reading this, but I com- <laughs> that is a perfect way to put it. Yeah, those helmets with the wraparound chin strap type thing that they have, and the the matching color uniform.
0: Yeah, and and my association with that kind of sci-fi also makes me. Uh, uh, makes it feel a little out of place, like the same kind of out of place as Super Headquarters, you know?
1: Yeah, because these are supposed to be Federation security guards. Right. So I don't see why Federation security guards would be dressed this way. So, yeah, I I, I completely agree. It's it's very off, but, they, you know, it, it almost made me think if the helmets were a little more uh, maybe pointed at the top, maybe or extended a little bit off the top of their heads, they'd look a more Romulan. Than oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Totally, totally.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but there is a very subtle thing, though. You notice on the fronts of their helmets, they've got what looks like a little Delta shield.
1: Oh, right. Look at that. Let me zoom in a little. Yeah, you're right. It looks like, I don't think it is, but it looks like a Delta shield.
0: Well, I, I feel like it is because it is, yeah? the way that he draws them on the uniform in that same panel, on panel two there, Oh, right. Um, you know, it's it's symmetrical rather than the the asymmetrical arrowhead that should be. You know what? Be. You're right. And so that that makes me feel like Geolity was was putting that logo on there.
1: Good call. You're right. Yeah. Now that I'm taking a look at uh, what is it, panel number two on this page, looking at Kirk's Delta Shield and the way that those helmet shields are drawn. Yeah, they are very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Good call on that. So I and I really love the shot of Kirk standing alone in this large council hall at the bottom of this page. Um, it's very sparse, but I think Mm -hmm. the table and two chairs at the bottom look very TOS to me. Oh yeah. It definitely feels like this would have fit. This is probably what a council chamber would have looked like in, in TOS if they had done one on the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it kind of looks like, uh, you know, that Federation council chamber in the beginning of Star Trek four. But if it had been a lot bigger of a, you know, of a set, like this is the kind of thing that they would have done.
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it doesn't look to it doesn't look like some of the other council chambers we've seen, like the Klingon ones. So this this it actually, you know, what it it almost may fit the TMP era as well oh yeah
0: yeah totally um and you know and and again it does feel very kind of 1970s um and and definitely in a good way i I like it i like the design good on Geolity.
1: yeah and you know what and and good on Geolity too on the next page there's a couple of shots where we see from behind kirk's head we see varying shots of the um the the three judges sitting above him and there's a protruding piece that's sticking out that matches perfectly with the prior shot from the prior page. So he definitely kept the same style uh, of the room in mind. There's some continuity there. Yeah. I really like.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's just a really cool aesthetic. I thought
1: it very cool aesthetic. And um, one more note before, um, before we try to move on or, or we can, Take a look at these aliens. Well the well yeah. they're, they're Federation members, but there are two decidedly non-humanoids uh-huh. uh, on this council that's judging Kirk. One is a Caucasian version of the Merman from the cover. <laughs> yep. And the other, I have no idea. It looks what it looks like a beak, but with yeah. kind of a, a mammalian
0: head, like a human head. Yeah, like the you know, the, the cranium human. and the ears. Yeah. But then like a beacon. Yeah, it's it's very strange. But, um, you know, we see aliens so rarely, you know, actual aliens, not just um, <laughs> humans on another planet. That uh, you know, I it it was something that I just thought was cool.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's very cool. And it's a, it's a little bit of a departure for Gold Key. We don't see a lot of this kind of stuff. So far yeah. in Gold Key, and most of the villains, as I we had joked about many issues ago, were bald white guys. Yeah. So it's kind of neat to see at least well one of these guys is a bald white guy, but he's a bald white bird guy.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think the um uh, the white guyness <laughs> to coin a new adjective um of this is really just another symptom of you know the the uh, primitive color separation that they they were able to do at the time. You know, um, I feel like if, if they were going to color this, this, these days, they'd totally make, uh, you know, that, that merman kind of guy match the coloration on the cover with the green skin and the red eyes. And they'd probably do something a little bit different. I'd I'd say probably, uh, I mean, if it was me, I'd probably make his beak kind of um, orangish you know, like a, like a Ravens, um, and, uh, or a crow, which one has the orange beak? I forget. Anyway, you know, and, and just done something a little bit different. Um, and I probably also would have not put them in blue because the blue makes them look like they're science officers. Yeah. And these guys are supposed to be, yeah. Uh, you know, in a, in a sort of command function just just based on where the story's gone
1: agreed i completely agree anything else you want to throw out there before we move on with the story
0: uh no no let's get to it
1: all right so moving on so there's some evidence presented that shows a video of uh captain kirk meeting with uh, space pirates and apparently accepting some sort of extremely high bribe uh, in the in the millions of uh, in the millions of dollars, uh, I think it's seven million or something like that, right, Ian? It
0: yeah, 7 million.
1: I forget it's seven million credits somewhere in here. Um, yeah, it did say credits. Credits, right? But uh, at any rate, so uh, Kirk seems to be in an awful lot of trouble, although he is. Um, He is protesting quite a bit, and it is said that he is going to wind up being court-martialed for this, um, even though he believes he's been framed up. So jumping to uh, another scene here, Spock, Scotty, and McCoy are having a meeting uh, that uh, lasts deep, deep into the night where Spock announces that he has volunteered the Enterprise to test some new navigation equipment so they can patrol this asteroid belt uh, where they were, they found the space pirates earlier. So uh, they figure that while their attention is diverted by the court martialing of Captain Kirk, the mining operations by the pirates would continue. So they could use some of this test equipment maybe to find them. So uh, after using something called a rattalizer, which is some sort of x ray scanner, to examine. Mm-hmm. Uh, various suspicious asteroids. They discover one which is winds up being uh, a pirate ship. So the pirate ship uh, changes course and heads towards the to, on a collision course to ram the Enterprise. And the Enterprise moves to avoid the ramming ship, which then takes off with the Enterprise in pursuit. So uh, back. In the city where Starfleet headquarters is located, Kirk visits an old doctor friend of his by the name of Dr. Wayne Stiller, who is pretty willing, uh, strangely, to change Kirk's appearance with a (laughs) cosmetic treatment called an electrosurgical procedure. (laughs) Something you want to say? I'll wait until we're done, but okay. what he changes, it
0: in, is, okay. changes him into is just oh, hilarious. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> right, don't make me laugh now. So uh, <laughs> so, uh, Kirk's uh, physical appearance, or his face anyway, is uh, soon transformed into the a native of a planet called Drid. So using his newfound disguise, Kirk stages an elevator accident so that he can... Uh, get to know a woman who is the secretary of Vice Chairman Fado and uh, winds up, wind up getting a coffee date with her. So meanwhile, the Enterprise has overtaken the pirate ship when the crew notices that the bandits launched a missile toward a planet by the name of Kibo. So on a hunch that the missile contains evidence that the pirates are uh, trying to get rid of, the Enterprise crew decides to go to Kibo and retrieve it. So once there, uh, Spock explains that the planet is bathed in a deadly, uh, deadly energy so that no living thing can venture there and live. So Spock decides that he and Dr. McCoy should use apparatuses called Cerebots uh, to get a hold of this evidence so that they can survive this high-energy Field that uh, this deadly high energy field. So the Cerabots are, in fact, robots uh, which are capable of housing the recorded brain patterns of a human being. So they essentially become the robot. So Spock and McCoy are transferred into these two robots and leave their bodies in stasis in sickbay to go to retrieve this evidence. So let's stop here uh yeah this is this is a tough one to follow uh, there's a captain's log here before we jump into any of this stuff that we've been talking about that I'll read off so this is a captain's log 1926.3 uh this is Captain Kirk speaking saying from the planet's surface where he's in captivity saying I have the freedom of the city and a limited time in which to fight back against the charges aimed at me what I need is desperately is the information and the anonymity with which to gain it so god there's so much here ian so since you were chuckling a little bit i'll throw to you well (laughs) so um
0: i i wanted to start off first with just talking about the hotel strategy meeting yeah which was um which is a little weird uh, that they're just in a hotel. If they're back on Earth, you know, uh, just go to one of their houses. You know, Kirk lives in San Francisco. Um, and I love the very casual Spock sitting down. Yeah, he's um, chilling, man. He's got his yeah. legs crossed. He is, he is chillaxing.
1: Oh, Jesus. <laughs> McCoy is pacing. <laughs> right. And Scotty is uh, doing, like, a Zoolander pose. right. Yeah, he can't turn left, um,
0: <laughs> and so so then, you know, they they go to that um, <laughs> uh, to the back to the asteroid belt, and and when they find the thing, they scan it with the the ratalizer, <laughs> and McCoy, oh my God, is. His thing. Guess again, you oatmeal-headed Scotsman.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention the fact that, and this by people. This is on page thirteen, panel five, of page twelve for you. Uh, McCoy calls Scotty an oatmeal-headed Scotsman. Um, so yeah, absurd. Yeah, more very very bizarre dialogue choices uh, here. Yeah. In Gold key. I mean,
0: God, you green bu- blooded hobgoblin is one thing, but oatmeal-headed Scotsman.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I really wish that I had kept track of some of the really, really weird things that have been said, uh, or used as insults, rather, in Gold Key, because there's so many of them and I'm I'm having trouble recalling them all, but um, this really fits in line with some of the bizarre dialogue choices that have happened so far in Gold Key up to now, and it makes me optimistic looking forward. I'm really hoping that there's more of this stuff Uh, in the future. Oh yeah.
0: Me too. And then, and then, (laughs) God, I can't stop laughing because when they change Kirk into the Dridian, he looks still just like Kirk, but with an afro.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh God. I, I was going to mention the same thing. Uh, that is not much (laughs) of a disguise. (laughs) <laughs> right <laughs> it's like they but they supposedly if you read the panels where he's being altered it states that um, it makes his uh, his skin on his face into uh, actually here I'll read it at, verbatim it says uh, but in less than half a minute your skin will be as malleable as clay. So are we to believe that his skin was made clay-like and somebody molded it to look different? And why does that change his hairstyle?
0: (laughs) Right. And not his face.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's so weird. So weird.
0: It is. It's really bizarre.
1: Yeah. And and I was going to say that, you know, he gets up off this table and he's looking into a mirror. He's seeing himself and literally... Literally, the next panel is this elevator, staged elevator accident. Right. So we have no setup whatsoever that there... It's it, it. Literally, he gets up off the table, he says, Magnificent, now I've got to get moving. There's a young lady I'm dying to meet. The next panel says, later, in the elevators of a 200-story complex called Government House, there's a woman and she's grabbing onto Kirk and she's like, we're falling. The car is out of control. So, <laughs> yeah. So, w- what a jump. I mean, that is such a huge and completely disconnected uh, chain of events.
0: Yeah. Like, maybe if uh, they had not spent so much time dueling with the pirates, mm-hmm. uh, they could have maybe uh, dropped in a little Chekhov's gun there to introduce her or at least set her up. Yeah, um, really- Cause yeah, it just it's just like you know, looks are droids, uh, that kind of moment of of just okay. Now they're in this elevator with this woman that he apparently is dying to meet. It's it almost makes you feel like uh, he got the thing, you know, just because knowing Kirk, right? It almost makes you feel like he got the the plastic surgery just to like go on a date. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> that's essentially what he did. Uh, more or really? less. Uh, there's a little bit more to it later, but yeah, it's, it seems like he got the plastic surgery just so that he could stage this elevator accident. Yeah, very, very weird. So let's see, going moving a little bit ahead here. Actually, wait a minute. This is one page back from where we just were. I wanted to just point out, and I'm sure that you you noticed this, on page 15, which is 14 for you listeners... Kirk is standing in front of this secretary in what I think looks just like what an office would have looked like in the 60s or 70s, Absolutely, not in the 23rd century. There are file cabinets there. There are mm-hmm. papers, papers stacked there, <laughs> uh, a lamp, uh, curtains on the way. I mean, it looks to me like what an, this office would have looked like in the late 60s and early 70s. So this is definitely not in the same style as some of the other areas of Starfleet headquarters that we've seen in prior panels.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely clashes with your expectations.
1: For sure. I'm wondering where exactly this is. So are we to believe that this is somewhere nearby to those council chambers, those TMP looking council chambers that we've seen. Yeah. Well,
0: you know, cause the, the only thing I can really think of is that I'm assuming this is all taking place in San Francisco, just cause you know, that's mm-hmm. where Starfleet headquarters is and all that. Um, and, you know, something that I would hope San Francisco would do would be to, you know, keep a lot of those older buildings like they do even today Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like those old Victorian houses and, and that kind of thing. Um, and that this particular doctor has his office in a super old building, the, the office accoutrements, the, the computerless desk and the, the filing cabinets with papers and all of that is still a little off, but at least the building that they're in, I could get. And if it's, you know, if it isn't, in San Francisco. And it just happens to be in a really old building. Sure. But it's still just, um, it's jarring, isn't it?
1: it? It really is. Maybe making myself feel a little bit better. Maybe, like you said, this is a historical landmark and law forbids them to change anything about it. Right. Yeah. Maybe this is a real, <laughs> even really the office building. equipment. Yeah. They can't do anything <laughs> differently. In that building, it's a historical landmark. Um, you know, Ian, this this is something that I thought about at length, but wound up having to put out of my head because I couldn't make sense of it. So McCoy and Spock are put into stasis while the cerebots that their brains have been copied into or their um their their brainwaves have been copied into are out doing their thing. Now, it's specifically stated in this comic book that copies, copies of their brains are put into these robots. So why would their physical bodies need to be in stasis? It's not like they took their consciousness and transferred it into a robot body. They literally copied it and pasted it into the robot. So I don't really get why Spock and McCoy couldn't be doing stuff on the ship while their robot copies are out getting this evidence. Right. Did you think about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they did according to the dialogue anyway, they did a copy, not a move. Mm -hmm. And it's weird that they would even have to, you know, do that kind of an operation. Why not just, um, you know, remote control the, the robots via telepresence, you know, good uh, which, a then you'd have yet another instance of a remote control Spock, and who wouldn't love that?
1: We would all love that, especially Jim Morehouse. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> and uh, and it would just
0: it would seem to be a lot less risky. Scotty complains about how they give him headaches. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just remote control them.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> now, speaking of giving them headaches, I absolutely love this is maybe one of my favorite gold key panels that i've seen in in all of the issues we've covered on page 18 the second panel where their brain brain transferred, (laughs) it looks like their consciousness is being vacuumed out of their (laughs) hands i love it it is so brilliant so brilliant Oh, Gia Liddy, I would love to shake your hand because this is such a great panel. I wish all of you out no there doubt. could see this right now. It is great. Absolutely great. And I have to remember to take a screen grab of this yeah, and, and post it because uh, it literally looks like there's some sort of a vacuum. And the hose, the hoses that attach to their heads look just <laughs> like vacuum hoses.
0: Yeah, yeah, like those old pig style uh, yeah. vacuum cleaners.
1: Yeah, and I love that they're saying arg at the same yep. time. So, and and even Scotty is saying ARG. I can't even bear, <laughs> can't to, even watch even bear to watch work.
0: that thing at work.
1: <laughs> oh my god. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Uh so go ahead, anything else you want to throw out there about this section?
0: The well, the only thing is just that um Scotty does sort of clear a little something up for us, and that's that the electroprober, which does the copy operation, mm. gives them a little bit of brain shock, and that's brain why shock. they're unable to do anything.
1: Mm. So, do you think? Do you think brain shock is one of those terms that would have been softened over the years? Like shell shock got softened, uh, and, yeah. You know, PTSD. What, what what would brain shock have been softened into? Oh boy, that's a really
0: good question. Maybe um, post brain sucky. <laughs> <laughs> dramatic. I can't even.
1: <laughs> oh man, uh, it's, it's funny. I I just I love the term brain shock, and I love the fact that Scotty, who is the chief engineer, is the one who's calling it brain shock. You would think that was something that McCoy would say.
0: Yeah, right? except uh McCoy's already taken off in his robot body. Yeah, oops. So,
1: so speaking of which, <laughs> wouldn't it have made a hell of a lot more sense for Spock and Scotty to go? Yeah. Oh, and have yeah. Have McCoy it there to monitor.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Cuz really? they're, you know, uh bodies who have undergone a medical procedure. Yeah, it would absolutely mm-hmm. make sense.
1: Yeah. So and where's Nurse Chapel in all of this? She's still recovering from the last issue. And being assaulted by a knight with a spear. Uh Um, uh, Anything else before we move along? No, I I am
0: anxious to get to uh, the Afro Kirk's date.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, perfect. Next up is Afro Kirk's date. So disguised, the disguised Captain Kirk has a coffee date with Vice Chairman Fado's secretary and learns... That Fado is ambitious and intends on ascending to the post of chairman by smashing the iron smuggling ring and indicting Captain Kirk at the same time. So Kirk also learns that the videotape that incriminated him was filmed by accident by an amateur photographer by the name of what I'm going to stumble over this one, Nuri Jakars, while he was on vacation.
0: On vacation. Oh, oh! I see, Nuri. I thought you said Muri, like with oh. an M as in Mike. No, Nuri. I was M. looking at the wrong panel.
1: Ah, oh, sorry about that. So, <laughs> you know, with this new found information, Kirk sneaks into Nuri Jakar's home, where he finds that Jakar's was a professional special effects photographer. Uh, Kirk searches the the house further and finds two film cartridges one that contains kirk and the other of the smuggler by the name of lidgey bragg Uh, they were combined by jakar's expertise to form the video evidence of kirk's supposed meeting with bragg and just as kirk makes the discovery nuri jakars appears behind him with phaser in hand pointed at kirk's head threatening to blow Kirk's brains out. And above the surface of the dangerous planet Kibo, don't forget that um, McCoy and Spock are now in these robot bodies. The Cerebots are flying on jetpacks after this missile containing the evidence was fired by the bandit ship. So when it touches down, they quickly retrieve it and are about to depart when one of the... uh, some giant, giant amorphous energy dragon called a Dragon of Endora, approaches them. Uh, They're pretty stunned by the fact that this dragon is there. In fact, I think one of them remarks that they never thought they'd see one of these dragons in real life. Uh Uh, The two of them phaser this monster repeatedly and eventually wind up destroying it. But during the process, the Cerebot that McCoy's brain copy is inhabiting is blown up and the head of it is left there and Spock grabs the head and flies back off towards the Enterprise. So, Ian, why don't you take Helm on this part?
0: Oh, boy. <clears throat> so, <laughs> Afro-Kirk has, uh, has his dinner, and um, you get a nice close-up where it it clearly looks like Kirk, just with an Afro. But... At the same time, you know, the uh, the coffee thing really does give him a good lead. Uh, So he decides that he's going to go over and sneak into uh, Nuri Jakar's house. But then his act of sneaking in uh, that fourth panel on page 19, page 18 for everyone else. It's just an awkward pose.
1: Yeah, I think you know, he's supposed to be descending from the skylights, but the way it's drawn it doesn't look like that.
0: Yeah, I I mean, how are you going to lower yourself down like that? It's just his his arms are behind his head and uh yeah, it's just it's, it's weird looking. Um but then I got to say I kind of love the uh the special effects house here that that this Jakars guy runs. Um and uh you know he, he walks by what what looks almost like the uh the bottle city of Candor from, from yeah. Superman. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> you know uh but like all these little kind of miniature um cityscapes and landscapes. Yeah uh, I thought Ooh, I mama. thought that was really cool. It is exactly I, cool. I, I, I almost you know, uh wish that they had kind of dwelled on them a little bit more, um, just because I, I like them so much.
1: I agree. So and I also like the fact that Kirk is operating on um page twenty, is operating something that looks like a film projector. There are obviously two reels attached to it.
0: Right. He says it's a strange projector, or the narrator says it's a strange projector, but like yeah, it's totally just a normal-looking projector.
1: <laughs> yeah, a, a film projector, no less, which probably would not exist in Star Trek times. But no. Uh, no but, but that's okay. Yeah, we'll let that one slide. We'll let it slide. And did you, did you notice on page 21 the look on disguised Kirk's face when he's kind of looking back over his shoulder to see yeah. this phaser pointed at his head? He's just like, eh yeah here yeah. you go yeah whatevs <laughs> really, really strange really strange look on his face but um, yeah. kind of a cool and, look and the, i yeah. wish i could be that cool and, when somebody had a gun pointed at my head
0: right and the and the dialogue you've got it all wrong chum i'm bexel redexa of din grid
1: interstellar news <laughs> <laughs> what a great cover story He's a news reporter <laughs> yeah. breaking into this guy's house, <laughs> right? Like that excuses it. Yeah, looking oh, for he's a news interview.
0: reporter. That's why he's breaking and entering. Yeah,
1: looking looking for an interview. <laughs> uh, I I really do like though on page twenty one the third panel of the Cerebots flying. Yeah, going over the planet. the planet Endora. Yeah, God, that's great. The, those swirls, the pinkish and white swirls. That purple mm-hmm. that that are at the top of that frame. I love the form. I I it. I love the fact that it looks like there's a kind of a wispy cloud action, and you see the two Cerebots yeah. with the trails behind them from the jetpacks, uh, flying over this planetary body.
0: Yeah, and then you know they get to the missile, which you know I mean it looks like a a missile is like uh, people would have known. Yeah, yeah. Um, it it does kind of look like a uh, a pre Apollo. Missile, you know, with the yeah. things and everything. Yep. Um, you know, uh, kind of in keeping with the Candor thing, you kind of expect them to pull out a Kryptonian baby from it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, and then there's the the dragon of Nidora. Oh yes. And you know, I kind of mm-hmm. feel like they uh, could have gone a little bit further with it. Tentacles, sure.
1: I don't see where the where the word dragon comes into this. The name dragon, it doesn't exactly. like a dragon at all. It's an amorphous exactly blob with tentacles. Yeah, and and not even all of that all that threatening. I mean, what is it gonna do to you? It's gonna kick you with its legs. It has no apparent head, so there's no mouth. Um, it's got no barbed tail. It's got no. Well,
0: it does. It's got a little energy uh, discharge, like like an electric eel, kind of.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But um, kudos to coming up with, you know, Strange New Life.
1: Oh, I love the fact that they did this. It's an, another non-humanoid alien, so right up my alley.
0: But the name of it sets up an expectation that the art doesn't pay off with.
1: Exactly, and... Not only does the word dragon not fit, but what's Endora?
0: That's the planet that they're on. Remember the pirate ship oh, shot right. the missile to, to this right. planet to, to kind of distract ah, them so that they could get away.
1: Good call.
0: And uh, there's a little bit of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, pride on the part of Spock that seems a little out of Character for Spock, I lay claim to one of those hits, doctor yeah.
1: actually, yeah, good point. I didn't even think of that until you just said it, yeah, that doesn't that sounds like a little bit of hubris on the part of Spock.
0: that's the word I was looking for, yeah, that that uh Spock, you would expect to just sort of brush that off. You wouldn't brag about it, yeah, he wouldn't want credit, yeah, he'd just be like, whatever, let's just take this thing down,
1: yeah, exactly, exactly, so. And but I do, I uh, you know here's another question. Uh, speaking of okay. the the cerebots and the fact that these contain copies of the brain waves, why is it necessary for Spock to grab a hold of the disembodied robot head of McCoy to bring it back to the ship? If it's just a copy of McCoy, I mean, shouldn't McCoy be perfectly fine back on the ship? Ding.
0: Yeah. Um it is that exact thought crossed my mind as well. Um, and he, he makes it, (laughs) he, they make the point in dialogue, you know, uh, what are you doing this for? I'm nothing but a pack of electronic circuits anyway. Yes, but I'm sentimentally attached to those circuits, doctor, which would be out of character for Spock again.
1: Totally. Yeah.
0: It's just weird.
1: Yeah. Very weird.
0: And, and there's, Bringing his head up doesn't serve any purpose. You know, the next time we see Spock and McCoy, they don't even mention it. Um, I feel like it was just to kind of raise the stakes a little bit by keeping Spock on there for one extra panel. But it just it it's it seems kind of pointless. Really? and, And out of character.
1: It both. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I was scratching my head thinking about this one panel, and this is, uh, for you guys out there listening, this would be page 22, panel 4 for you. You see Spock, he's and he's also, as he's flying away from the planet, holding McCoy's head, he's also holding some sort of a metal rod in his hand.
0: So, yeah, well, I that's what they the pulled evidence. out of...
1: Yeah, the evidence. Yeah, so, the
0: incriminating record.
1: Yeah, the, inc- yeah, the incriminating record. And yeah, he's flying back to to the Enterprise, and here's the actual dialogue from McCoy's disembodied head says, Mr. Spock, you're crazy. This hunk of scrap robot will just slow you down. I'm nothing but a pack of electronic circuits anyway. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, weird dialogue choices, but... Alright, at any rate, are you, you have anything else you want to talk about before we get on to the closing of this?
0: No, just that um boy, I I wish they had just rewritten that
1: whole scene. I do too. But this is what we've got to deal with.
0: Yep, you get what you get and don't get upset.
1: <laughs> Alright, so moving along. Alright, back in the city Kirk is able to convince Nuri Jakars that he actually is a news reporter who is trying to do a feature story on him. So uh, allowing him to leave Kirk takes off, but not not too long after that, um, his face returns to normal, which we had no indication that this was not a permanent surgery, did we? Did it say it was temporary? No, I don't think it did. No. I
0: mean, it, he we assumed that he was going to reverse it before he got back to the enterprise. But my assumption was just that it was going to be, he'd go back to the surgery and he'd yeah. zap him with the malleable clay face thing. Mm-hmm. And then do that that way, uh, that it I would agree. undo itself. Like, you know, um, like Cinderella and the, the yeah, clock, like chiming kind of midnight spell right was, yeah, that, that, that was a little odd.
1: Yeah, I agree. So, And, of course, plot convenience would have it. So just as Kirk's face reverts back to normal, Vice Chairman Hajara, who was hanging out outside of Jakar's home, sees Kirk and gets the drop on him with a phaser pistol. So Kirk is captured and led back inside by, uh, by, uh, by Hajara. Once inside, uh, Kirk explains that um, their scheme has worked very well, and they had him convinced the whole time that Vice Chairman Fado was the one that was framing him. So Hajar is still pointing the uh, phaser at Kirk, exclaims, Of course, I couldn't afford to do it myself for fear that the doctored tapes of you might be exposed. So Kirk continues to unravel this plot while he stalls for time. He confirms that the uh, Jara promised a huge sum of money to brag, the pirate, to implicate Kirk. So, and also, if the doctor tapes were discovered, Fado would be removed, paving the way for Hajara to take over. So with the plan exposed, Hajara decides that um, he's going to have to opt for another plan, and that plan is the disgraced Captain Kirk, the starship commander, who is now uh, facing court-martial, would commit suicide taking his own life. So Kirk decides that he's got nothing else to lose and pushes over one of the uh, miniature underwater city special effects models, spilling water onto Hajara, knocking him off balance, and then Kirk takes that opportunity to hurl a giant (laughs) table at Hajara, uh, knocking him out. So later... We find Kirk back in the Supreme Hall with Hajara and Fado present. And Kirk is pronounced innocent uh, based on the evidence that he's recovered and the records recovered by the Starfleet, uh, by the Enterprise crew. And the Council and Hajara have been disgraced. uh, And they're going to try to figure out how to repair the public distrust that has been sown by these egregious acts so outside in the hallway kirk thanks spock and mccoy for the great work that they've done and the friendship that they've displayed for him and uh, hopes that he is able to do the same for them in the future but then spock in a a very strange and uncharacteristic way says that there though no lab (laughs) test would show it we are blood brothers captain So uh, and then in a a final act of comedy, uh, Fado's secretary comes by and says, I'm going to have to give you all a day to apologize for the stunt you pulled. And we got a little uh, another McCoy joke to round this out, saying that, yeah, they're blood brothers and chums to the end. And then Spock says, well, then, doctor, I guess there are some things even brothers don't share, which I don't really get. Did you get that reference? Yeah. Were they talking about mm. Kirk Mackin on the secretary? Is that what that was about?
0: Maybe I don't I, know. Yeah, it it kind of went over my head as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I feel like I'm missing something there. So
0: yeah, Kirk, like a punchline.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, good one. So Kirk takes uh, grabs a hold of a table that looks bigger than he is. And, yeah, much bigger. Hurls it like a weapon. <laughs> Did that stand out to you as strange?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's something that you would have expected Spock to be able to do, but mm. not not a mere human like Kirk.
1: No, good call. yeah that that seemed a little out of the realm of possibility for Kirk. I mean, I'm sure he could have toppled the table, but yeah um, picking that part it up was, and I was totally on board with across the room seems a little bit strange to me. So, and and let's, well, I mean, the Blood Brothers thing, I I don't even know what to say about that. That is (laughs) definitely not something Spock would have ever said. I don't even know if Spock, I mean, Spock may be familiar with the concept of what Blood Brothers were uh, just by studying human history. But I really doubt that he would ever call himself a Blood Brother to Kirk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. It's just... The handling of Spock in this issue was not done well. He, he mm-hmm. just does not seem in character.
1: No, not at all. Well, and, you know, we've had this problem with Spock in prior issues. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, he he solves problems. Yes. Which is which is definitely Spock like. But he, he I think the problem for me is that he's decidedly not Vulcan. In a lot of
0: right. comics. Yeah, and and the other thing about this ending is, you know, once again, the ending just feels rushed, like they wasted yep. too much time earlier in it. We've got three pages. You know, the the evidence that they brought back is just mentioned in one panel. You know, the the uncovering of the plot is, you know, essentially just one page. Um, you know, kind of spread out over two pages, but you know, the number of panels is, is just one page's worth. And then you've got four panels for, uh, you know, taking out the bad guy, three panels for the, you know, uh coda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just very, very rushed.
1: It is. And there's a lot of things that I felt in this comic that were essentially pointless to include in the first place. So one of the big ones that stands out to me that we wasted some time with was why would the space pirates a have evidence on board their ship to prove Uh this plot existed? And when, when being chased down, why would they choose to launch that evidence in a missile in a way that would be recoverable by someone else? Why wouldn't they just destroy it?
0: Well, that part I think is that they weren't banking on the uh, Enterprise having any of these, you know, Cerebrots or cerebots or cerebots or whatever, um, on board because because they send it to this planet where you know n- no one can live or whatever. But but even then, it's like exactly. you know the, the Enterprise has transporters, just lock out of the signal beam it aboard. It's the whole. Felt like a completely different story than the whole conspiracy thing, and it it felt like they just had these two stories that just mashed together, and you know you just had this sort of mess in the middle where they kind of overlap occasionally.
1: Exactly. So I mean, the pirates are in cahoots with people at Starfleet headquarters, so they should be well aware of the technology that's available to the mm-hmm. Enterprise crew i.e. transporters shuttlecrafts tractor beams all sorts of things that they could have used to retrieve said evidence so yeah. it didn't didn't make sense i mean they would it would have been a, a very obvious thing that the enterprise could have used a tractor beam to lock onto the missile that had been fired and capture it before it even hit the planet so uh-huh. it, it just seems very weird to me that i mean, in, in unnecessary that the pirates would have tried to jettison that information instead of just destroying it—it it doesn't exactly make a hell of a lot of sense. And I think the uh, one of the biggest problems, I think, with this issue is the waste of time in the beginning of the issue where you took almost ten full pages just messing yes. around in the asteroid field and ferreting out that one pirate ship and destroying it. Um, that yeah. that the pacing again, which didn't come so up off. at all. No,
0: Like, I thought, when, when I first saw him destroy that, and you remember me talking about how, you know, that uh, seems really unstarfleet like I thought that was what he was going to be on trial for. Right, Yeah, Was the destruction of this ship.
1: And that would have made a and lot they, more sense. And then they don't even reference that he does
0: it, except for one panel where he's like, unfortunately, no defense short of total destruction was possible, Commander
1: Dar. Oh, too bad. No one cares. That's it they were yeah. just poachers anyway who cares right yeah um it's it's
0: like the pirate angle the pirate story should have been its own issue i think and mm-hmm. the trial story should have been its own issue and had each of those stories had their own issues to expand with i think they would have been a lot better but the 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 smushing of them all together into into just, you know, mm. 25 pages just doesn't work on this one.
1: Completely agree. So am I correct in stating that you will go non-essential on this one? Non-canon non-essential, rather? Well,
0: part of me wants to rate it essential because we we apparently get back to Earth and we get to see stuff like the, you know, um, the council hall and, and all of that. But it's the story just doesn't work well enough for me to actually give it an essential rating. So, yeah, I'm going to go with non-essential on this one.
1: Mm, I see. I'm I'm going to agree with the non-essential and I would have given this an essential vote if we were apprised of the races of the two non-human aliens that appear as Starfleet council members. Um, that yeah, that would have been very cool if we if they had gone ahead and just given us the names of the planets they came from or the races that they belong to as an introduction to an alien race, that would have been really cool. Um, but as it yeah. stands now, they're just two strange looking Starfleet members who are yet unidentified, so that would have been really cool. And so, unfortunately, it's a double non essential again. Uh, for this gold key issue. And um, it's a shame that uh, the story had to be so disjointed and difficult to follow. And I think your ideas of it having been split into two issues probably would have made it far more readable.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, um, you know, but, but I will say if, if you want to read this for, for a good laugh, I mean, where else are you going to see Afro Kirk? (laughs) Yes. Like pick it up, read it. uh, You'll, you'll laugh your butt off. um, But, but yeah, otherwise, you're not missing a whole lot.
1: No, and it's a kind of a rare misstep for Arnold Drake, I think.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. Um, and and it's, and it's, you know, it's again, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, had he just split it into two, I'll bet that he would have been able to do great stuff with both of those different plots. Mm. But yeah. I feel like it was just the the mashing of them together was what did him in.
1: Mm, yeah, I agree. And, you know, and this is one of those instances where I really, really wish we had a Mark Cushman book about the making of gold key comics because, Oh yeah. Would
0: that be great?
1: I would, I would venture to guess that there was more to this story than would fit in the comic and it got trimmed down uh, for whatever reason. So it would be, it would be, it would be fascinating if Mark Cushman, if you're listening, um, you know, think about maybe doing a gold key comics book. I'm sure that's way off the radar, but uh, it would be so cool to be able to get a little bit more of a background on what went into yeah. the writing and illustration of these issues and kind of shed some light on maybe, uh, what these issues may have been or what the original writing was that got trimmed down or what whatnot to fit the, the comic format. So, um, all right, so Ian, uh, awesome, awesome to uh, talk through this issue with you. Uh, yeah, I know that it wasn't the the best issue in the world, but it's always fun. Plenty of great discussion topics.
0: Yep, yeah. I mean, it's still Star Trek.
1: <laughs> it is still Star you know. Trek. We keep coming back to that same uh, that same conclusion. It's it's always interesting to see new adventures of Captain Kirk and Mister Spock and Doctor McCoy and the rest of the crew that we haven't experienced yeah. before.
0: And and that's the whole point of the original mission of the tricorder transmissions. You know, it's it's yep. to go through all of the voyages of Kirk and, and the crew of the Enterprise. And um, uh, even though the story might have fallen flat, it's still Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's another adventure that we were able to join them on. So exactly. great, great stuff. And, and thank you out there in listener land for joining us on this adventure. We're always very happy to have you here with us. And we realized this, this was a long episode. So thank you for, for enduring it. And you can find more about us on the tricorder transmissions.com, facebook.com slash the tricorder transmissions and Twitter at TTT underscore, pod and we've got some merchandise up on redbubble.com make sure you jump over there if you're interested in tricorder merchandise it's super good it is super good and um please you know jump over and take a look at it and you know feel free to interact with us on social media we love love talking to all of you and i i so much enjoy the 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 folks that chime in on our weekly episodes on our facebook page have such great conversations with you guys love you all thanks so much And, um, you know, if you feel like it, and it would be a great, great, great bonus to us if you could jump on over to iTunes and give our show a review over there. That would really mean a lot to us. It goes a lot into the rankings of shows and helps for the discoverability of the tricorder transmissions. You know, we've been around for three-plus years now, and we're always looking to bring in new listeners into the fold. So uh, giving us a, a review or even just a star rating. On iTunes, a minimal time investment. Just go there and click the stars to say how much you like the episodes, and that would that would go a long way. So thanks so much, Ian. Anything else you want to say before we close up? Yeah, uh, I just want to
0: say that it, this was really great getting to spend the uh, the fiftieth anniversary evening of uh, Star Trek, chatting Trek with you. I mean, yeah, man. Here we are, fifty years later. I don't think even Gene Roddenberry would have expected it to last this long when he yeah. first put pen to paper, uh, coming up with this whole thing. It's, it's amazing. What a ride. I can't wait to see what happens to the next 50 years. Assuming I'm around that long, knock on wood, what an incredible world they created. And even better is just the, the, the friendship, mm-hmm. the, you know, all of the interconnections that the, the lives that have been changed, the, uh, pushes forward into the future, everything that Star Trek has done has, has pretty much, uh, you know, touched gold somewhere. It's, uh, oh, I was just going to say, it's just, it's just a real treat. And so, uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for letting me, uh, you know, talk Trek with
1: you Nah, man, listen, it's, it's my pleasure and I, I absolutely love having you here. This has been such a great time talking to these comic books with you. I, I love getting in depth about Trek and um, you know, in in my real life, I only have a small, small handful of people that I can talk Trek with. So being able to sit down and talk Trek with all of my friends like you and, and the other hosts of the tricorder transmissions And our friends on Twitter and Facebook, it adds a lot to my own life. And, you know, Star Trek has brought so much into all of our lives and it's affected so many people. It's it's such an amazing feeling to think that uh, this franchise has been around this long and continues to grow and prosper even today with new movies coming out, new series about to start, uh, novels still being written, comic books still being released. Mm -hmm. So much material out there for Trek fans to discover, uh, for new fans to discover and get into the older material. It's it's such a great self-propagating series now. And there's so much wonderful, wonderful content. And even the content that is not as popular still has a lot of great stuff to think about and talk about. That's the beauty of Star Trek is that it has so much meat in it for you to sink your teeth into and embrace and immerse yourself in. Um, You know, I'm in the middle of, I'm getting towards the tail end, rather, of a Next Generation rewatch. And, you know, I have talked about the Next Gen with so many of my friends, and they say, oh, well, you know, it's such a mixed bag. But even the episodes that aren't that great still have some really fun stuff in them. And some yep. really great concepts. So, you know, Star Trek is a wonderful franchise. I am so happy that we can be even a small part of it. Uh, you know, putting out these podcasts and, and, and talking to other uh, Trek fans and community members, you know, it's, it feels so cool to be a part of this. And I'm, I'm glad that you're a part of this with us, Ian, and the rest of the Tricorder crew. It's been an incredible ride for us, and it's been an incredible ride as a Star Trek fan Uh, seeing how the series has grown and changed and evolved over all of these years.
0: Couldn't agree more. Uh, May Trek continue to live long and prosper.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Live long and prosper is one of my, uh, one of my mantras in my own life. So everybody out there again, thank you all so much for listening to these shows. We, we love you all and we hope you all continue to live long and prosper. And we will be back again. Next week, with another episode of the Tricorder Transmission. So stay tuned and we'll be back with you before you know it. Thanks again for listening.